Hello! Welcome to Slate Money Travel, which is the bonus mini-series for Slate Money, and we are featuring the most traveled person ever in the history of Slate Money Travel. Catherine Meyer, welcome. You run the Wikimedia Foundation. I do. Which is a one of the most international organizations in the world. Aww. And you are proof that it is international because you spend your entire life on airplanes. Yes, I have a very thick passport book at this point. <laughs> we are going to talk... We are, what we are going to do, we're going to have this discussion, which we have already had. <laughs> this is one of those introductions which I record after the conversation. And we are going to start talking about airlines and points and airline miles. And then it will like segue to hotels. But before long, we're going to get super gnarly and micro. <laughs> and we are going to wind up talking about the actual real human-scale transportation of running around cities, taking subways in cities, taking buses, and then even bikes, and then even scooters. And we are going to wind up at a place, basically in like 1920s Germany, where we might not expect. And if you know what form of transportation we're talking about, you get like a gold star. Yeah, send an email. Send an email if you, you, if you guessed what we were talking about. Otherwise, you're going to have to listen all the way to the end of Sleep Money Travel. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Catherine Ma, you're terrified of flying? I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan, yeah. Okay, so you have your phone in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me how many miles did you fly last year? I flew uh, 234,728 miles and visited 14 countries in 48 cities. 48 cities in 14 countries. You are on the road the whole time. Pretty much, yeah. And you are spending your life on airplanes. Mm-hmm. And you are spending your life in, like, economy class on airplanes. Back of the bus, baby. Flying the worst flight in the world, which is basically California to Europe Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. (laughs) Yes. And, I mean, you do this because you need to, want to. I mean, like, is this something that your predecessors did as well? No, it's something that I instituted because part of what I wanted to do was bring together the global Wikimedia contributor community and actually give them a sense of a coherent global identity. And I wanted to hear from them what was going right and what was going wrong. And so the best way to do that is actually go to the places that they live and work in the context that they're in, not just in Europe, but all over the world. I've been all over Sub-Saharan Africa, all over Latin America, you know, you name it, I've probably been there. One of the parts of being a little bit less developed is that it's much harder to get around 
by airplane and you wind up flying like the bus anywhere to anywhere in latin america you somehow need to change in miami (laughs) yeah that's right or anywhere to anywhere in west africa you somehow need to fly through ethiopia which is on the other side of the continent yeah (laughs) the uh listeners can't see but you're not a short person (laughs) and you are tucked up in in the back of the plane dealing with jet lag and traveling to a huge range of different countries while also doing things like hanging out with billionaires. So my first question is, why are they not offering you lifts on their jets? Mm, I don't. Is there a service? Is it like, is there like a Facebook for billionaires where they're all like, hey, I'm going this direction. You want to hop on my jet? Because I'm not on that service if it exists. <laughs> you, you <laughs> There's just, probably an app, right? You, it, you need to be in the right Telegram groups. Yeah, I'm not in those groups. <laughs> that, so, so this is your first mistake. Um, so I have a couple of like technical questions. The first one is, do you have any loyalty to particular airlines or airline groups? I do. I am. <laughs> many, many years ago, I lived in Germany and I signed up for Lufthansa miles and more. And if you are somebody who flies a lot, you know that that is the most punishing mileage program because you really have to earn your status on it. It's like 100,000 miles before you get gold status, which is most other airlines don't do that. But now I, I have sort of a sunk cost issue going on where I've got like many, many thousands of miles with them, hundreds of thousands of miles with them and I'm, I'm stuck. But so miles and more and uh, Delta, I really I'm a fan of Delta domestically. And I mean internationally too, but I mostly hide. Yeah, so I've got I'm I'm so I'm split. Del- Delta and Lufthansa, which are two, two different, different alliances. alliances. Yeah, I like to maximize my uh, my chances. But you have lots of genuinely hard earned miles on both programs. Yes, yeah, so I don't get the accelerants of um, business class. But like that doesn't give you lovely upgrades to business class because you're such a nobody really does upgrades anymore not i mean delta is actually pretty good at this that's why i fly them in the u.s but um but not internationally no no one really does that so you kind of have to you have to actually pay your miles okay so do you do that when it's just like it reaches the point where you're like i cannot see the inside of another airport you're like okay i'm just going to spend thirty thousand miles and get myself a bed for the night i haven't done it in a really long time i think um one time i flew from south africa to dc for 24 hours and then back to germany so <laughs> on that trip yes i did because that's that's really long time in a plane um but no i'm kind of i'm so i'm so used to it now i just sort of curl up and fall asleep or watch movies drink, so drink some wine so what's the what's the utility of the miles then if not upgrades what do you do with them I, I hoard them, I guess. I'm a hoarder. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I want to maybe blow them all on some big first-class trip sometime somewhere. Doesn't that's Like, I hear Lufthansa has a really amazing first-class terminal that is just a totally separate one in their Frankfurt airport that's like a hotel. I know that I know they have one in, in Munich, which, mm-hmm. is, which is legendary. And there was this guy, there's this story, which I'm 100% convinced is true, of this guy who just booked this first class ticket from Munich to somewhere I don't even like Dubai or something and he would go into the first class lounge and have a shower and like eat lots of free food and really you know order amazing things and lots of drinks and then he'd reschedule his ticket for the following day because you can do that because it's first class it's fully refundable and he would just go back every day for months that's um, that's a great travel hack. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I definitely when I know that oh, this is terrible, <laughs> I travel too much. When I know there's going to be a nice lounge like the Virgin Lounge, I will definitely show up early to the airport. Whereas normally I, I'm there like 45 minutes before my flight. I'm like, if you've never missed a flight, you spend too much time in airports. Right. <laughs> so, 
Okay, so you get you get lounge access. This is the your, it is, main, it your is main the perk. perk that is, is, my is lounge perk. access. I get to shower, yeah. <laughs> and that's and so the Virgin Lounge is your Delta Miles, mm-hmm. and then Lufthansa has its own Sinatra, lounges. Yeah, and then the rest of the time you're just kind of in. Do you like enter a Zen state? You're like, okay, I'm on a plane again, or do you consider that to be actually time that you can productively? Do something, recharge, I can, zone out. I work phone. very well on daytime flights. Like that's, you know, flights back from Europe, flights across the U.S. I, it's like a little productivity tube. There's no one pinging you. There's no meetings. You just can focus. Um, and I don't even use the Wi-Fi. Like I know Wi-Fi was this big revelation. Yeah, I'll, I'll turn it on on my phones, but mm-hmm. I won't turn it on on my computer because it's so bad that it just becomes a distraction because you're like, I can't load this thing. I can't load this thing. So instead, I've turned every offline sort of remote cloud access thing on. I get on a plane and I just power through and work on the plane. Um, but then obviously I don't do that on red eyes. That's... And can you sleep on plane? If you work that one out, the whole like, oh yeah. What's your stance on Ambien? I don't take it. You can just sleep anyway. I have a whole. I like bring my favorite, you know, like shawl, and I have like the little face mask, and I've got the neck thing, and I just bundle up, and I am out. Nice. Yeah. That's okay. Well, that explains a lot. Or maybe it's just something you have to learn how to you do. Have when to you, travel when you, you, you totally have to learn. You totally have to learn. You do. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just exhausted. Glass of whiskey helps. And you're traveling so much that you're always <laughs> exhausted, so you will take any opportunity to nap. More or less, yeah. It's actually quite restorative. <laughs> Have you solved the problem of traveling east and landing in the morning and not having anywhere to have a nap or check in? Mm, no, this is a real issue. Um, if I'm flying into a city where I've got friends, <laughs> hi, I'm here to use your shower. Um, otherwise, I, you know, go and show up and look really pitiful in the lobby of a hotel until they tell you to stop sleeping on their bench and check in. <laughs> <laughs> There's your travel hack. <laughs> That's right my travel there. hack. Actually, the, the travel hack for me is every time I get off a plane, I try to go exercise. You know, exposure to sunlight gets, mm-hmm. gets your blood flowing, oxygen levels. And uh, so go for a run in a new city, see the sights, get to know the landscape. And by the time you get back, usually your hotel room's ready. That's a good hack. Mm. I like that hack. Well, they also don't like you sitting around being all sweaty on the benches. So... <laughs> Do you have any brand loyalty when it comes to hotels? No. You'll just pick any Whatever's brand. convenient, yeah. Well, I mean, we're a nonprofit, so we book, for the most part, whatever's cheapest, which is also why I have two airline alliances. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever's cheapest, whatever's closest, whatever's available. How do you view all of the travel in terms of, like, you know, is this a reason why your job is amazing or is it a reason why your job is terrible? I think it's a reason why my job is amazing. I have the chance to go spend time with people doing incredible work in the countries that they're doing it in. It's not the same thing as bringing everyone together in a conference room and asking them, like, why do you edit Wikipedia or what what knowledge issues are important in your country? I was down in Latin America um, or South America last year, and I was in Uruguay and Argentina and Chile and had the chance to spend time visiting some of the most incredible museums, um, meeting with knowledge professionals, the you know heads of digitization at the Chilean National Library, going into the mu- uh, Museum of Memory in, in Chile, which is the Museum of the Military Dictatorship, doing similar activities in Argentina, going to see you know the largest photo archive in Uruguay. It, it is transformational to be able to travel the world with people who care about information because they are the best travel guides. They take you to the most interesting places. You get to hear and learn stories about things that you would never otherwise get to access. And then you get to bring it all back and actually try to synthesize it and share it in a way that is hopefully brings all these disparate pieces together and and creates a, a broader picture of the whole. So I 
Absolutely. I don't mind the travel. The travel is, it's a little insane, but, but it, it is a perk. And I think it actually is essential. Otherwise, it's, you know, this is the issue with Silicon Valley in general, is if you're building everything from the perspective of what does it look like to be in Palo Alto, and you're not actually spending time with the way that people use things in the world, the needs that they have, the, the way that circumstances are different, uh, the way that products are different, the way that people are different, then I don't think that you're actually building interesting things for the world. Absolutely. I remember writing in the Wired, I believe it was in the Wired article where I said that you should take over Facebook, um, <laughs> mentioning that Mark Zuckerberg had never once set foot in the Philippines, even though he is kind of the most important person in the Philippines. That's a really interesting point. I've actually never set foot in the Philippines, although I'd like to. You, the Philippines is not on your list of however many countries you visited? It has not been yet, but emphasis on yet. It's a it's a very important country. No, it absolutely is. It, I, so I think that we're very interested in, um, in thinking about how these massive countries um, in Asia that are not China, right, that nobody is really talking about, whether it's Philippines or Indonesia, I mean, unless you're talking about it in a really negative way, right, uh, like an outsourced. Uh, content farm outsourcing for moderation, you know, Philippines, Indonesia, I, I think that these are these are places in which Wikipedia is incredibly popular and well used. And so my not having gone there is, is actually a black mark on me. Like it, it's a it's a something that needs to be rectified. Um, maybe 2019. At some point, you have enough space left. Well, 2019 <laughs> will be the year of, of going to the Philippines. What's the top countries that you always look forward to going to just for the food? Lebanon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> India. I will eat my way through any of these countries. Um, and I do. <laughs> Although, you know, I'll admit, like, I spend a lot of time in Germany, and I'm a very big fan of the little sandwiches you can get on the subway platforms, <laughs> which is, like, such like a weird thing. Very brown bread. Yeah, yeah, I kind of enjoy it. But no, I, in, in no question, eating in, in Lebanon is a life experience that everyone should have the chance to do once. I miss Turkey. How's, also Turkish oh, food. Tur so good. So that will the Turks even like let you in? We've decided it's probably not wise for me to try. So I don't get to fly Turkish Air anymore, which is sad. Oh no. Yeah. Not even Turkish Airlines flies everywhere. I know and they're fabulous. They're a really good airline. It's a really good airline, yeah. Wow, but that you're not even flying Turkish Airlines. I'm not, yeah. Damn. At the moment. Because we're, well. we're blocked in Turkey, because I didn't make that explicit. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. For those of you who haven't <laughs> didn't listen to the slate money episode with Catherine. There are two countries in the world that Wikipedia is blocked in. One of them is Turkey. The other one is China. Does that mean you don't travel to China either? I haven't yet, but I, I actually I don't suspect that that would be a similar issue. I think that my my suspicion is that if I were going for, you know, either tourism or for business purposes, that I would probably hopefully get a visa. I'm, I'm going to try to. I'm actually going to test this later this year. So. Oh, good. Yeah. And then you've been to Taiwan. No, no. That's also meant to be amazing. Food. food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have heard that. <laughs> Yeah, see, I mean, I I travel I travel on my stomach, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm 100% agree. <laughs> really, now I'm feeling guilty for about all. I'm so sorry. Every other country I haven't listed, I love your food too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you can always find something to be right about. I mean, yeah, for someone who travels on their stomach, not being able to go to Istanbul is definitely it's a, it's a major lacuna. Yeah, there will be a time when you can go back. It's I, not going to be Erdogan all the way. I no, I mean, I I feel this way absolutely. I remain optimistic that you know any country that is currently off limits, hopefully, will be a country that is 
avail is open soon. I'm a very big believer in you know freedom of movement, and I actually the the country I really want to go to is we have a really active Wikimedia community in Iran. And you haven't been there either. No, not yet. Oh, you're I'm, gonna love it. Have you been? I have not been, but everyone I know who's been has been absolutely blown away by it. And also the food. So uh, my my undergraduate degree was in Middle Eastern and Islamic studies. And so just the chance to go to Isfahan and see the architecture would be beyond exciting for me. So yes. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I would love to. And and actually, uh, Uzbekistan, I think, is another one that would be really cool to go visit for the architecture. Definitely. Probably for the people, too. I mean, I, that's the thing about travel is the more you travel, the more actual similar. It, it actually... F- it makes it so obvious how similar we all are, right? And to some extent, I remember very much when I first started traveling how the sensory impressions of the first foreign city you visit are so overwhelming, right? You remember the shape of, in my case, it was Paris. Like, I remember the shape of the cobblestones. I remember the smell of the galois. Like, I remember so distinctly every part about that experience. Like, the fact that the pharmacies have this green cross, you know, the whole thing. And now I travel around the world, and instead of seeing the things, I actually mostly see the people. Like, it, it is because everything is so foreign in a similar way that it's it's it actually lets you, lets that background sort of, difference melt away and just connect with the the folks that are right in front of you. Does that make any sense? It does make sense, especially when you're doing this thing that you do, which is you're basically traveling on your own and you wind up landing in this foreign country and being forced to interact with a whole bunch of locals because you don't have like a travel companion who you like just revert to. Yeah, I I actually prefer it. I, I prefer traveling on my own. I prefer flying on my own. I don't, you know, put my headphones in as I go around the city or the day like I really just like sitting and I like the fact that my wi-fi doesn't or my my mobile network roaming slows down because it, right. I don't sit there on my phone while I'm on a train I actually sit there and I like look at people and I watch I mean not like in a creepy way just <laughs> just like in a, you know I just I, I'm constantly aware of what's going on and and I don't think we do that when we're sitting there with our like LTE service it's it's nice it's a nice way to de- I, I, I I can definitely um what's the word relate I can relate to both the wonders of T-Mobile free international roaming <laughs> and also how slow it is. It's very slow. It's very slow, but it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's the best deal in the world. It costs literally zero dollars and they give it to everyone for free. Yeah. And it's totally sufficient for checking email and staying in touch for emergencies and things like that. But it deters you from constantly being on your phone, like swipe, 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 swipe. And I, I actually think, you know, there's this all this these hacks around mindfulness now where you're told to like grayscale your phone and you know, plug it in, in another room. I'm like, let's just slow down browsing again. Just bring it, like, back, just to, slow, bring it back to 2G. Just throttle it right down. And we will all... You'd, so it, it's like none of us texted as much as we did when we had T9 because it was such a pain, like tap, 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 tap. Um, yeah, so that's not exactly a travel hack, but it does seem like it might be a good life one. <laughs> Phone up your cell phone provider and ask them for much slower service. I would like 2G, please. <laughs> Great. I think we will do this. We will, we will move around the world constantly, meeting new people, doing it on our own, putting ourselves into strange situations. And getting like delicious food. I think oh this, is, this is the it's, best, best it's future. The best. <laughs> best future. It's, it's really the best. And then, and then somehow, like you, you have a place in San Francisco which you kind of occasionally see when you're lucky. Yeah, luckily my brother lives down the hall, so he keeps an eye on it. But um, <laughs> it's a very modest place. Um, there's no need really for it to be anything more than that. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people came here, ransacked my computer. And I, I got people threatening me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the slow newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thank you for coming in. Thank you for being almost certainly the most traveled person we all have on Slate Money Travel. Oh, wow. You're doing like, what, 150 days a year or something crazy like that? It was more like 200 last year. Yeah, so on this trip, I just, I was in New York, Chicago, London, Oxford, Brussels, DC, and now I'm here. I just got done from DC last night. <laughs> Too many plans. It's actually a really terrible. Trippet now for the entire year thus far. Trippet just thinks I'm on one, which is the app that I use. It, right. it literally thinks that I'm on one long trip. Which is it doesn't actually, actually acknowledge San Francisco as a as a home base. It's just right. like, oh, she's in San Francisco. Which is actually better than the other thing that happens on Trippet, where they're like, where you're in one city and you get a notification from Trippet saying you should prepare for your trip from like the third city you're going to be going to to the fourth city. Yeah, you're yeah. Going to, they you're send like, it out like a week in advance, and I'm like. <laughs> I haven't even bought my tickets yet. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's That's really bad. bad. I, I feel like I, I'm curious if folks who listen to this can actually relate to this or if this just sounds absolutely miserable to most people. I mean, it would certainly sound absolutely miserable to Kathy O'Neill. Yeah. Who's like, I won't even travel anywhere on business unless I'm in business. You know, I respect that. If she can command that sort of authority, like, by all means, command that authority. Although I do think the calculation on environmental footprint is wrong. I mean, okay, so the first question is, how much do you care about your environmental footprint? I care very much, yeah. Um, It's it's enormous. I, I don't own a car. I live in a studio apartment. I am a vegetarian. I am like the, you know, in many, I don't have children. I think in many ways I have one of the most minimal. I live in California, which is the most uh, energy efficient state because we don't really have heating or air conditioning, <laughs> at least in NorCal. And so, in some ways, I have this incredibly small environmental footprint. Except I live on a plane, and it. it I just it. It is an ex. An, a matter of existential angst for me. But do you feel a little bit more environmentally virtuous for flying in the economy class? I, yeah, I. I mean, I. I don't. Like not as a choice, but like, <laughs> but there's no question, right? You in, just in terms of of measurement of volume, the more people you have on a plane, it, other there's the weight calculation, of course. But other than that, the more efficient it is, the more people that you can sort of put in that space, and which is why you always see those horrific proposals for the standing seats. Have you seen I've these? I've seen these. Yeah, yeah. that's that is going to be on Ryanair any minute. <laughs> it is because it is more efficient from a fuel economy standpoint, and so whatever's more efficient from a fuel economy standpoint ends up translating into being probably better off for the environment because you're actually able to move more mass at lower cost, right? Or lower sort of carbon expenditure. And so there's no question these, you know, business class is definitely a little more problematic. I think it's something like eight, you could fit eight people or something like that. 
in a business class seat. I don't think you fit eight people in. Well, I mean, literally, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be on a business class seat with eight other people. But just in terms, I, maybe it's. Not, I mean, that maybe it's like the weight calculation. I feel like you could do four, two, no, maybe three. No, because think about how long they are. So you could get easily get like two or three rows in there. In spirit air, you could. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to start consulting floor plans. I think that's the way you do it, right? It's just like the number of square feet of fuselage that you take up. Yeah, probably. Because I imagine like those seats are not more heavy than people. Yeah, I mean, the seats are heavier, but I don't, I mean, that's a... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It looks nice up there. (laughs) But but at least, yeah. At least least you live in an apartment building, so, you know... No, you I have I, a little bit of virtue that way. I try. I, you know, I, I take public transit. Like, <laughs> I'm a real big fan of public transit and public infrastructure. <laughs> you, okay, well, that, that that's the final question for you is how much effort do you put into trying to understand and navigate strange public transportation cities and cities? systems in cities that you've never been to because that the learning curve is always so steep on those things. I actually love taking public transit. Um, so when I'm in Mexico, I love riding the metro there. You know, I, if the first time I was, or the, the only time actually I was in Kiev and Ukraine, it was such an adventure because at the time, none of the signs were in Latin. And I, so I knew, you know, I, I knew the names of the places I had to go, like in an auditory sense, but I had no idea what they meant in Cyrillic and I couldn't. So I'm like, I had no idea how to get where. I was going. So that was an adventure. And this is all pre-iPhone, pre-maps, uh, right. all of that. I've like had written navigation. Um, I-, I get such a kick out of it. I'm, I'm a big transit nut, nerd. I just think that metro systems are really fun. It's kind of like national carriers, right? Like they represent, uh, to some extent, an identity of a country, right? It's like the Moscow underground is, is in, yeah, exactly, is famously, famously beautiful and, dec- and you know, decorative. I actually, I think poor New York has a terrible reputation right now for its public transit. And, t- but I love it. I think it is like, it, it is exactly New York. It works just as much as it works and no more and no less, right? <laughs> exactly. So for me, yeah, I, I I ride public transit whenever it's available. Like the, you know, we I can't go to Turkey anymore, but the Istanbul overground trams I think are really cool coming from the airport. Like it's, there's no better way to see a city. There's no better way to see people. When I was in Delhi, I was hanging out with Wikipedians uh, from Delhi and I made them take me on the Delhi subway. I was so excited to ride it. I've never taken the Delhi oh, subway. Oh, it's really nice. It's brand new. It's super nice. It actually has really intense security protocols. So you have to have your bag screened before you can go wow. in. You, it's like an airport because they're concerned about terrorism. But yeah, it's 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 really nicely done, right? It's like the Cairo subway is also, it was built by the French many years ago and it has like these weird rubber tracks and trains. Like, I, no, public tra- uh, Yeah, I love it. <laughs> It's such Just a dark. Take... No, it's awesome. I think no, I think you're absolutely right. Put as much effort as you need to into getting those subway tickets and navigating the systems and it's you're absolutely right. There's very few of them where you're like, this is just horrible. Yeah. I'd I would I'd be hard pressed to think of one that wasn't in some way a learning experience. Yeah. It's fun. And and most of the time it's just like, why can't we have this back home? Yeah. Yeah, so San Francisco drives me crazy because it has some of the worst urban municipal infrastructure. I I happen to live right near one of the overground tram lines, but in general, to get across the city, there's no cross city transit other than the buses, and it the buses are okay as long as you're not trying to like switch them. <laughs> um, but for me, there's no question that the ability to get off a train and be in the center of a city and make that commute from sort of a, a suburban area into an urban area is part of the reason why 
people tend to like European cities so much, right? Because they're so well networked and so dense and so sort of well connected. And then I come back to the States and, you know, my my folks live about 40 miles outside of Manhattan and it takes me like three hours to get there on public transit. And, and actually public transit in this in the tri-state area is some of the best in the country. And yeah, that's, that counts as good. It counts as good. And so like no hate to Metro North, like love it. But at the same time, I really do. I, I rode up on a, a cello last night and I'm thinking, you know, this should be an hour long trip. So yes, it, I know it's expensive, but as it turns out, investing in infrastructure is the lifeblood of a country. It's kind of like investing in education. You do those two things and it's really incredible what happens to the economy and what happens to sort of you know, flourishing. Can you imagine what like Hong Kong would be like if it didn't have that amazing yeah. ecosystem? It hey, just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And and you see that. I mean, some of the challenges that you see when you travel to these megalopolises is some of the biggest problems that they have are transportation and infrastructure. So my very first time in Lagos, it flooded while I was in a car um, leaving the airport. And Lagos has really, unfortunately, underinvested in infrastructure. And so the entire highway flooded and we had to get out of the car and push the car <laughs> off <laughs> off of the overpass because the water had risen to sort of like into the car. But my, my, my sort of memory of that was just the density of the traffic. And it's an, it's an infrastructure problem. I, I've heard that this is the main... I've never visited Bangladesh. Nor have I. It's not really on the top like tourist destinations live. but um but yeah you, it can take hours apparently to get to and from the airport this is why i love these high high speed buses so um buenos aires uh, installed this incredible bus network system with like the dedicated bus terminals that feel like you're getting on the subway but it's actually getting on a bus i just think those sort of high capacity bus lanes when done well i know i know manhattan has them but we, we have like two and they yeah. don't work very well yeah the m15 express i used to i used to take it um <laughs> It is better than what it used to be, yeah. but yeah, I, there's infrastructure. <laughs> so I could go select, on. Select so you thought we were going to talk all about planes, like no, fancy but, people, and instead exactly. we're talking about we're going to talk about <laughs> bus lanes. Bus lanes are amazing. If you if you do the cost benefit, like a lot of towns, like small cities, large towns, really love the idea of tram systems. And if you work out, if you do the math on tram systems, it is always and everywhere better to just do like, buses. bus lanes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it <laughs> um obviously most places can invest in subways although those are clearly the best. Um but yeah, bus lanes are if you actually start thinking about some of the challenges that we have relative to carbon consumption, increased density and increased density being otherwise a really positive thing, like personal car ownership is just a huge problem and then you have all these Silicon Valley companies reinventing buses. They're like, <laughs> "We have an idea. What if you took a private ride sharing service and took it with six of six other people in your community and neighborhood on a pre-planned route to get to work?" And I'm like, "A public bus?" <laughs> <laughs> Buses have such a weird like people will refuse to take a bus even when even when they're perfectly happy taking like a slower tram or it's classism or subway it's classism because buses are accessible to everyone buses are the the primary mode of transportation with for people with ability with um, limited mobility it is the primary mode of transportation for people lower income people it's to my mind it's complete it's complete classism to not take a bus i agree so <laughs> go take buses people they they you would be surprised how public transit effective they can be public transit is like democracy you have to use it to keep it Thank you. I will I will I will I will remind myself of that.
And, uh, right now, all I ever take is city bikes, but you know. I, yeah, but those are good too. Like, oh, what do you think of the scooters? Is the I, scooter I'm, plague has I'm, it hit New I'm, York? The scooter plague has not hit New York, but also I'm just deeply suspicious of scooters. Um, Alison Griswold, who used to be here at Slate, but is now at Quartz, has been doing some great work on scooter economics, and they mm. just don't work. Oh, interesting. The, it turns out you rent these scooters out for you know a buck a shot plus. It works out to like maybe two or three dollars per ride. They last on average 28 days because these are not, they're made as, you know, in, for individual use, not for high right, um, industrial, industrial like people using them over and over again. They, you, they rent them out like on average, maybe four or five times a day, and then they die. And the, the amount of revenue they generate over the course of their lives is a fraction of the cost of the scooter. Interesting. So even without all of, even before so, you get to the overhead and stuff, they just, it's just a, like the two big Chinese ones both imploded. It was Ofo and Mobike. Mm. No, I, no, those were the bike ones. I yeah, I read remember. about the implosion of the bike ones. People but, were no, just I, discarding the bikes. Yeah, but yeah. the yeah, dockless bikes. I think in principle can work, but the scooters. I just don't see how they work. There's an interesting lawsuit proceeding in San Diego right now because people ride them all over the city, and it's creating issues uh, with regards to. ADA protections it's because people ride them on the sidewalks. Right. And, and they leave them where the wheelchairs need to be able to go and, mm-hmm. yeah, and get in the way. And so there's a suit against the city about what what does the city need to do in order to make um, protect against the accessibility issues. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like pro scooter in the sense I'm pro anything that gets people to not take a taxi five blocks. But at the same time, they, they are a bit of a, a health hazard. What's your last mile transportation solution of choice what's the best one? Oh, i love bikes bikes are like my favorite technology dockless what uh no i have my own bike uh, Wait, what, the, oh the dockless oh dockless no did you see the bike covered in barnacles the city bike? oh that was amazing what? the stories that bike had to tell <laughs> that, was, that was like Someone pirates of the caribbean docked bike. It. <laughs> um yeah, no, for me, I have my own bike. I love riding my own bike. But if I, there is a dock right outside my house. So if I need to, I'll, I'll take a, a docked bike. Yeah. If, if you're yeah not coming back. Well, point to point, right? Right. Which makes sense. I, I think that the dockless ones, I'm kind of curious. It's kind of like car to go. Like, I, I don't actually, I'm curious about the economics of how they track them down and re- reallocate them to locations. Because I know that's a big issue with the docked bikes too, is the commute, the rush, the reallocation. Yeah, the rebalancing. The reba- uh, Right. The, and did you read about the incentive hacks around rebalancing? Oh, do you, do you know what the bike angels are? Yes, the bike angels. The bike angels are amazing. So these are the people who ride the bikes from point to point, from dock to dock, yeah. in order to get points. Get points. And to me, I read that about that, and I went, "Oh, it's Wikipedia. It's all the same people who maintain Wikipedia in terms of like looking for grammatical errors or vandalism edits or what have you. It's the exact same sort of incentive structure. It's like microtasking that people have some sort of affiliated emotion around, some sort of intrinsic thing where they actually appreciate what the product is. And then it has a reward system that just like hits that dopamine. I am a bank angel. You are? I am. No kidding. What makes you do it? Well, the main thing is it, it is free to sign up. Mm-hmm. And so I just basically bike around doing what I do anyway. I don't mostly don't go out of my way to rebalance and get but every so often just in terms of like the way i live my life they will give me points and i can't remember ever doing anything with my points but it's still it's i'm like i'm all into gamification of everything everyone should be a bike angel i think everyone should be a bike angel but definitely you know i know people who never pay for their city bike membership because they are earning enough points every month to just keep on rolling. you actually know people who do that yeah not just that those exist wow that's really cool 
Yeah. Yeah. So bikes. bikes. Bikes are the original cool tech. And the the thing that I love about bikes is no one knows how they actually work. Now, I don't mean like, <laughs> yes, they've got a crank and all that. But the fact that you can actually like push a bike straight and it will can stay up is is baffling from a physics perspective. You just blew my mind. I know. <laughs> bikes are crazy. They are the most efficient form of transportation just in terms of the amount of energy expended to get like one kilogram yeah. one meter it's more efficient than walking it's way more efficient than anything with an engine it's like, it's yeah. amazing and my, I, i'm not i think i think the only other one which comes close is elevators that's interesting so i'd be curious you know they used to have the elevators that were not the stop starts they were the um what, we just go around in a circle yeah you step on what's, and the, step off. what's the name for them they <sighs> Have you been watching Babylon Berlin on Netflix? No. Yeah, they have those on that. Yeah, the only very very popular in the 30s in Germany. Yeah, so I've I've ridden one in Germany because that's like the only place (laughs) they still exist, and I think they've mostly been taken out of commission because they're so dangerous. (laughs) A Paternoster. That's what they're called. Yeah, Yeah. Paternoster, and um, they are crazy. But I'm curious if those are even more efficient than the stop starts. Almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes around the circle. It's round and around. It's all counterweighted. Mm -hmm. So the marginal energy cost of going on and stepping off is tiny. Nothing. See that? Look, we have gone from planes (laughs) to trains to automobiles to To bikes to (laughs) paternoster. Go back to the (laughs) paternoster and we'll solve everything. (laughs) Thank you very much. Catherine Mark, I, I believe I should say check out your website at Wikipedia. Maybe People are going to do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Never hurts. <laughs>